Hey everyone, a quick advisory on today's episode. The first five minutes contain some tape that some people might find upsetting and contain some foul language. So maybe give it a, a second thought if you've got kids around you, in which case uh, you'll be fine after about five minutes through the recording. This is The Ruminant a podcast about food politics and food security and the cultural and practical aspects of farming. You can find out more at theruminant.ca, email me, editor at theruminant.ca, and you can find me on Twitter, at ruminantblog, or search for The Ruminant on Facebook. All right, let's do a show. So my name's Kevin. I, uh, I operate a mobile slaughter truck in Washington State. I go from farm to farm and uh, make meat out of people's animals. Um, I got into the business because I thought it was a very humane way to to harvest meat. The animal never has to leave the farm, get stressed, get on a trailer. Um, every every day is a good day to the last second, and and that's uh, how it goes. And most every one of my customers are super happy, and the community is happy. And uh, yeah, it's a uh, it's a good gig to have. Uh, typically I service, you know, very small farms, mom and pops, people just raising a few animals of their own. So, um, it's, it's very small scale, local. Um, I only drive maybe 75 miles at most. So it's all kept, uh, kept within our community. Uh, so most people that see what's, what I'm doing out in the field are, are, are super happy and jazzed and, and interested. But uh, a couple Sunday nights ago, I got an interesting voicemail from Someone who wasn't so happy. Hi, Mr. Killer fucking meat killer bitch ass. I just wanted to let you know that you're a fucking selfish human for killing animals. And you should fucking die instead, right? Have a good fucking night. And God fucking will kill you one day. You fucking karma will get you. Fuck you. Leave the animals alone and stop letting them die, you fucking killer. Hasn't happened very often, but it was uh, it was a bit jarring for sure. And, and kind of... Uh, kind of took me back for a second but then i kind of realized that that that's uh that's her opinion or their opinion and and uh most people are are pretty pretty cool about it but um i know there's people out there that that maybe aren't so was there any aspect of the recording that had you feeling intimidated or worried or nervous uh honestly not so much uh the the area code the phone number area code is is from across the water and and i figured they they weren't uh someone local that that was going to uh, pose any real, real uh, threat or anything. It was more specific, maybe, and it, I felt like they knew knew who I was, really, or or not just getting my number off Google. Then, then maybe it would be a different different perspective. Hey everyone, it's Jordan. So that recording featured a friend and colleague of mine called Kevin. Kevin, as he mentioned, works out of Washington State, and we decided together that would be the only details we shared uh, about about him and his business, uh, just as a form of kind of half uh, anonymity, um, I guess for obvious reasons. Today, we're going to be talking about uh, some of the intimidation and threats that um, various colleagues of mine have experienced uh, because of their participation in animal slaughter. And just as a precaution, in case there are any particularly uh, passionate animal welfare activists activists listening to the show today that that might feel inclined to give these colleagues more trouble i gave each guest the option to be fully anonymous or at least half anonymous and two of the three have elected to do that just because why invite any more grief 
I belong to a social media group of farmers on which Kevin shared the voicemail that you heard a couple of minutes ago. And that kind of served as the motivation to put this episode together. I've been aware of this kind of thing happening to certain colleagues and friends of mine for a few years now. And so once I heard the voicemail, I just thought, huh, maybe it's time to explore this a little bit on the show. So you've just heard from Kevin, Kevin from Washington, and now you're going to hear from another Kevin. Hello, I'm Kevin Morin. I'm the general manager at uh, McGill University's McDonald Campus Farm. I've been working in agriculture about 10 years right now on various farms across the country, and I had the opportunity to operate my own mixed livestock operation in Kelowna, BC called Kelowna Free Graze Lamb. So Kevin, take me back to uh, the summer of, or maybe spring, spring or summer of 2018, and kind of what led up to this open farm event that you and your business partner had planned for the community. So this was uh, in 2018. It was the our first year of operation of Kona Free Graze Lamb. And uh, when we started the operation, uh, we were pretty broke. I didn't have much money. We actually decided to do a crowd uh, funding campaign to buy money for our sheep. And it was a rewards-based crowdfunding. So people weren't necessarily just giving money. Like, I mean, a lot of people did, but people w- w- would get a reward if they gave a certain amount of money. And the, the lowest tier was you got invited to an open farm day. Um, so that was like twofold, one to serve the crowdfunding campaign, but also just as a marketing ploy in our first year of operations. So we organized a open farm day on May 27th, I believe in 2018. And we just advertised it over Facebook. Um, and what happened was that uh, our event got shared through um, an organi- a local organization and that organization uh, was following some local animal activists. So when the local animal activists found out that a, a lamb farm was doing um, an open farm day, they just caught on to it really quick. And I, I kind of want to back up that our operation, we didn't only uh, have a mixed livestock operation, but we also operated uh, provincially inspected meat processing facility. And, um, you know, we we're quite proud of that because there are very few facilities around. That was obviously a big point of contention for the vegan group because not only were we raising livestock, but we were slaughtering them on site. Mm. Now, as luck would have it, um, that very same day was the vegan fair in Kelowna. So they kind of made an event, um, like a spun off event from the vegan fair to come out to our farm and protest our open farm day. But it didn't um, necessarily there was a lot of lead up to that day. So just the whole hate that we had from social media was probably worse than the protest itself. Like, I mean, they just plagiarized um, a lot of our ads and that became a lot of management. So I was really um, worried about um, them protesting us. So I tried to uh, get in touch with these groups and rationalize with them and quickly i found that there's there's no point in doing that because you can't rationalize with someone when they're emotionally attached to an idea um so our best course of resource was just to delete their comments and not answer them we found that to be the most effective anyways the day of the protest um 
I think about a dozen of them came out and they just had signs and uh, they were just getting people to honk. I think when people drove by, they were just honking, not knowing what they were honking at because all these signs, uh, but they were getting really excited about it. One thing that was pretty frustrating was they took pictures um, of ours offline and made posters of them and showed them back to us. So that was kind of um, something that got me going. And then actually you were there, Jordan, that day. I was. And you had organized a counter protest. And I think you were protesting down with nuance. <laughs> yeah. So when I saw you um, do that, I had to just go up and see what was going on. And I saw you were counter protesting the protest. And that's when I noticed that they had a sign of my lambs and they were showing it back to me. And that kind of uh, hit me the wrong way. So I just went up and took the sign out of their hand. But as soon as I realized I did that, I didn't want it to escalate any further. So I just turned around and left, uh, which I think was a good uh, point on my side, because you don't really want to make that into any worse of a conflict. And then um, we kept getting hate for about, you know, six to eight months um, after the event from various people in the community, which was kind of awkward because Kelowna is not that big of a town. So. You know, the the chef of a given restaurant, the vegan restaurant, giving you hate, uh, then you drive back by that restaurant. It was kind of a kind of funny, but to uh, to stop the whole thing, it was just ignore them, delete their comments, block them from your page, and do not answer. And that was the most effective. <clears throat> well, Kevin, thanks. That I, I'm actually quite surprised at, at your. You've got a good memory. Um, you really have good recall on on that whole series of events. Let's go. So that was a great summary. Let's go kind of, I have some follow-up questions. Let's just go through it. So you suggested in your summary that in the end, looking backward, it was the anxiety caused by what they might do and what they were doing online leading up to the event that felt the worst. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, at the end of the day, I think protesters are just going to protest. Um, and if they're going to do something stupid, which is few and far between, that's totally unforeseen. Uh, for instance, I heard of this uh, one story at Rokana in, in um, Salmon, Salmon Arm. Arm. Salmon Arm. Yeah, so they're in <clears throat> Salmon Arm. Uh, they, got pro they get protested regularly because they're a bit of a bigger operation, but um, somebody jumped in front of a truck and almost got hit, you know. Um, so that was definitely more, more aggressive, but nothing like that happened to us. But but what what was was it was it what they were threatening to do that was causing anxiety for you or was it what you were imagining they might do? Well, I think it was just the bad publicity. Um, but now that I remember, um, no no publicity is bad publicity, and that was my first our first year of operating the enterprise, and we never uh, it was a huge boost in sales for us. Because I think while I was worried about having a bad rap and people giving us a bad name, you know, a lot of people saw what they were doing and just didn't believe in their message and decided to support us. So the vegans actually kind of worked in our favor. You said that you tried to get in touch and just talk to them leading up to the event. Can you expand on that a bit? Well, for sure. Like, I mean, I've, um, you know, I've been working in agriculture my whole life and, you know, like every system of producing food has consequences. There's no uh, creation without an equal and opposite destruction, bluntly put. Um, so 
I, you know, that summer in the Oak got hired to move beehives in orchards, you know, and what vegan doesn't eat fruit? Well, let me tell you that by moving these beehives uh, through orchards, I killed thousands of bees, <laughs> you know, and that's just a, a reality of our food production system. So there's no production system that's harmless, mm -hmm. you know, even if you're going to go to like only eat vegetables, you know, and if you're going to do an annual crop until the soil every year, you know, that's has an impact on soil microorganisms and the soil organic matter. So these trying to convey to the vegans and I was also trying to sympathize with them and to say that, you know, I'm not necessarily a proponent for the conventional meat system either, you know, and my animals are on pasture. Um, so I don't believe that they're contributing to greenhouse gas emissions because if you take consideration the pasture on top of the livestock, I think my belief is that um, the net emissions, you know, the, it, it, the pasture ends up acting as a carbon sink. So I was trying to just explain these facts um, or this, these points of view to various people that were con getting in touch with me online. Um, I even contacted some by the phone. And nobody wanted to hear anything of it. Like they, they were just stuck on, I have blood on my hands and I'm a horrible person. Yeah. Maybe what we offered um, was convenience because we were close by and also a direct association. You could see the lambs um, being raised and the slaughterhouse right on site. Uh, and that's just looking at your food system right in the eye. And I think that's what we should be doing. Not necessarily going to the superstore and buying meat that you don't know where it comes from. You don't know how it's produced and it's, you know, probably on sale because there's an over overabundant production. Yeah. So we're telling a couple stories like this in this episode today, Kevin. And, and one of them is, is, you know, focuses on a voicemail that a colleague of ours received that was not fun. It was kind of violent and, um, super rude and and i mean what do you think about that yourself you probably know people who have been on the receiving end of that it sounds like in that sense you didn't experience that anything like violence or anything but um i don't know i i don't even know where i'm going with this question i'm just wondering how you react to to when activists take that approach to kind of harass and even become violent towards you know people who are who are raising and slaughtering animals the medium is the message, you know, that's kind of what comes to my mind because they're coming to you um, with anger um, and kind of like, you know, a sense of derangement. And if, if you want to evoke any positive change, you know, you don't do that with a negative attitude. You have to be constructive, listening, have a sense of dialogue. That goes for anything, not just the meat production that, you know, our environment or choosing a better government, you know, like if, if some, if a canvasser comes to your door and knocks on the door and you open and they start yelling of a whole bunch of things, you're not going to listen to their message. So it's not a very effective way to convey change. Uh, and, and by that fact, you know, it reinforces that I may not be necessarily dealing with uh, the sharpest, a group of people so I shouldn't let it get to me um, at all you know if if someone was really bothered by what I'm doing you know they should at least come to me 
uh, with a calm dis- disposition and, you know, want to have a conversation with me as opposed to uh, getting me riled up as well. Because, you know, once your testosterone gets going, you know, there's very little room for uh, rational action, you know. Uh, I think you're right. And I know from experience because of because of when I was at your open farm day and, and charged out and shoved my signs in their faces. And we, we, one thing that didn't really happen was much, much, much dialogue and the dialogue that did happen, didn't happen until we all calmed down and just started talking. Kevin, Kevin, thanks so much for sharing your story and, and just making the time for the, for the podcast. I really appreciate it. Hey, my pleasure, Jordan. How did that feel, Kevin? Okay. Oh, I just want to say that cliche line, you know, uh, Long time listener, first time caller. <laughs> I'll, I'll try and I'll try and slide that in there, Kev. Okay. Um, did you see the last email I sent you with the questionnaire? Hey, everybody! Just a quick interruption to the episode because I want to introduce you to someone. If you listened to the last episode, you'll recall that I mentioned that I have a collaborator right now. Uh, A dear old friend has agreed to help me a little bit with the podcast, and I promise to reveal her identity in this episode. And so, Philippa, are you there? Hi, Jordan. Hi, Philippa. How's it going? I'm well. How are you? Oh, I'm I'm pretty good. So, Philippa, Philippa Mental. You are the secret collaborator, uh, at least for now, on the Ruminant Podcast. Wow. No more mystery. Why Why did you agree to do this? Uh, to work on your podcast? Yeah. I was really excited to, to work on this with you. Um, partly because I think you've been doing a great job, and I, I think there are a lot of really interesting topics that you've been getting into on this podcast. So... I think it's a really worthwhile project and I was excited to be able to to take part. Well, uh, I'm sure happy you're taking part, Philippa, and now I just want to sing your praises to everyone. So uh, in a nutshell, Philippa and I go way back, everybody. Uh, I met Philippa when I was interning on a veggie farm on Vancouver Island. We then spent two years growing vegetables together and uh, Philippa comes from a family of farmers. And in fact, something fun about Philippa Mental is that on her parents' farm is where the famous ambrosia apple originated. So you can thank Philippa and her parents and that farm for the existence of the ambrosia apple in your lives, if it's been in your lives. Anyway, Philippa, I consider you a lot smarter than me. And I'm really excited for the insight and perspective that you're going to bring to the show. Wow. I'm so excited to be working on it with you. And I'm really, really uh, grateful for the opportunity to do this with you. Well, for so many reasons, too, because we haven't worked together now in a long time. So this has been a fun chance to get to... To get the band back together? It's Yeah. To get the yeah. band back together, yeah. At least some of the band, right, Philippa? Yeah, with, with the good and the bad. Yeah. Uh, I'm reminded of all of the fun of what that means, Jordan. <laughs> but no, it's been great. And also because I'm a big fan of podcasts in general. And I think yours is a pretty great one. But it's something I've always been curious about. So this is so fun and such a big learning curve for me to 
get to see behind the curtain a little bit. Yeah, well, um, I'm super excited to work with you, Philippa. And just so everyone understands, for now, um, until you feel ready, you'll be mostly behind that curtain, just helping on the production side of The Ruminant and helping generate ideas and helping me put out a better episode. But so um, not going back into the shadows. Yeah, that's right. But at some point, if you feel comfortable, then then listeners will probably hear you on actually like conducting some of the interviews and just a, different different parts around around the show. So um, I can't wait for that, Philippa. And uh, I can guarantee all of you listening that um, you're going to enjoy that whenever it happens. Me too. Great. Okay, Philippa, I think we're done. I think we don't have to do this introduction anymore. I think it's over. Do you have anything else you want to say? No, I'm relieved. This was fun. <laughs> Thanks, Jordan. Bye, Philippa. Bye. Hey, my name's Tracy. I own a mixed livestock farm in the South Caribou region of British Columbia. We currently raise lane hens, um, meat chickens, Thanksgiving turkeys, and farrow to finish heritage pigs. We also have a small herd of Icelandic sheep that um, we'll be doing lamb and fiber from. I think that's about it. Tracy, thanks so much for joining me on the Ruminant Podcast. No problem. So Tracy, I thought I'd start by asking you uh, if you heard the voicemail that I will be sharing at the top of this episode, the one I believe you and I are on the same kind of social media group where one of our colleagues recently shared this voicemail with kind of a, I would call it a threatening voice, anonymous voicemail towards towards this colleague of ours who who slaughters meat with a mobile abattoir. Did you did you catch that message? I did. I did. And what was your like I'm curious, you know, I'm a I'm I grow plants, but you you raise animals and I'm I'm really curious to know what your reaction was to it. I was really upset here that somebody would take the time to um call somebody and leave such an angry and misconceived voicemail on someone's um message so so i'm wondering tracy if you could um you know tell us a little bit about the animal husbandry you and your partner do on your farm maybe start us off there just give us a sense of like not just what animals that you raise but but what you do with them and how you do it yeah so from the start we didn't grow up wanting to be farmers. Um, we kind of fell into it after we got um, 50 lane hens. Um, we just had the desire to produce our own food and maybe share some with some friends. And um, it kind of spiraled into more of a desire for me to know exactly where my the meat that I was consuming was coming from. Um, I then started... Um, researching and learning more about that. And I am actually a veterinary technologist. Um, I worked in the vet field for many years. Um, so I always aspired to just provide my animals the best that I could um, with treating them ethically. Like I talk to them and I they're more than just that they're gonna end up on a dinner plate to me. Um, and uh, it's, Anything that happens 
on the farm, they're my priority. It's like they eat first. If something happens that one of them's ill, I take care of that. It's It becomes right to the priority, um, top of the priority list. It's all about them for us, whatever makes them happy and we wanna make sure that they're happy. Um, for instance, with my pigs, we have them for seven to eight months um, and they have one bad day. But that seven to eight months is what I feel matters. And we believe that our animals should have natural instincts and be able to exhibit what what would be natural to them. Like pigs should be rooting in the soil, chickens eating bugs, worms, um, and enjoying the sunlight. So that's kind of always been our priority, what we want to provide for them. And we always feel that in turn what they provide to us it we just feel better about that so it's kind of that um give and take i guess relationship you could say that we're giving them a great life and they're sacrificing themselves for us i guess you could say tracy what about i would love to know your experience with this sort of thing i don't know going into this conversation if you've ever had the kind of threatening you know, email or voicemail that we're, we've talked about, but, but like, have you experienced vitriol from people who don't agree with, with you being involved with raising animals for slaughter? I have, um, I've had a few different instances that have happened. The biggest instance that I had was last summer, one of the farmer's markets that I attend. Um, it was a new market for me. It was my first season. We come in to take over for another farm that was leaving. And um, they shared that I was coming and they shared on social media. It was on Instagram. Um, it was a photo of me and one of my um, breeding sows who was pregnant at the time when I took the photo. And um, it was a gorgeous photo. Pig looked like she was smiling. Like, it was just a happy moment. And I then proceeded to be attacked on Instagram all weekend by animal rights activists um, using such words that, like, I was going to slit my pig's throat, um, that I probably, yeah, took that photo and slit her throat right afterwards, um, that I was a murderer, that... Um, the only type of protein people should be eating is legumes and um, like chickpeas, vegetable proteins. Um, and it just kept going on um, the whole weekend. So it was upsetting because that's not how I view things. And, you know, I take as much care of things as I can, but it was a bit of a shock. And I, the farmer's market, I talked to them about it afterwards. And unfortunately, like they don't share about me on social media anymore because of that instance. Um, so, you know, new people to the market who eat meat and might like my meat don't really always know I'm there. So that was a difficult um, part to go through. And that's, I dealt with that a couple of years ago. I was in, featured in a article for the Vancouver Sun and um, some people started commenting. It was about um, the lack of abattoir services in the province. And um, a lot of people were commenting about, yeah, me killing the chickens and probably the photo was taken. And I then, you know, murdered all my birds or whatever they would say. So 
those those are the the main instances I've had. Wow, though. So it it sounds like though it's actually, I mean, it's impacted you on a couple levels. Like I want to ask you about just your visceral or emotional reaction in in a sec, but really I just mean in a practical sense. It sounds like you, in at least in some cases, have chosen to kept a lower profile than you otherwise would have because to have a higher profile publicly invites a pile on. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I can be very introverted. I take people's words to heart. So even though I don't agree with what they're saying, what they're saying can impact me because I'm an emotional person. (laughs) So, um, and I don't, I try not to let it bother me, but I chose with that farmer's market because it is a higher plant-based, um, market that, um, I chose, I didn't want to be featured anymore just because it, it was the easy route and I didn't want my business impacted and I didn't want negative stuff being said about my farm like that. So, well, especially when you, I would imagine you kind of just become on the outside of that conversation. Like suddenly some momentum takes off online and a bunch of people are saying terrible things about you and your business where, where all you can really do is watch it happen. I, I, I don't know. I can really relate to how I, I really believe if that happened to me, I'd ha- I don't know. I might go as far as to say I'd have trouble sleeping at least while it was going on. I mean, I, I don't, mm-hmm. it doesn't seem much different from many other examples of, um, online vitriol that, that targets someone. Um, and, and I don't know, I think there'd be a lot of people that would, would really struggle with that emotionally as it's happening. Yeah. And I just, to be honest, I find that this is just another form of bullying. Like, and I just feel like there's no place for it in the world. Like people want to eat meat. They want to eat something ethically sourced. That's fine. If you want to eat plant-based, that's fine too. Like it's, we're allowed that choice and we're so lucky to live in a country, um, you know, in a, first world country that we have those choices um, to make. When you have experienced the more negative stuff, another additional frustration must be to, to farm with certain ideals in mind, whether it's stewardship or animal welfare, is is to take something that's already hard to do profitably and, and mm-hmm. make it harder, you know, and that just must make it especially frustrating when um, you're trying really hard to you know, to give the animals a good life while they're alive and sentient mm-hmm. and then to, you know, be on the receiving end of um, that kind of negativity. Yeah. Um, I think an irony about this, Tracy, that I was thinking about is like, so I, I you know, commercially I grow plants, um, but my, you know, my time my experience with farming, I've dabbled in animal husbandry. And um, one obser- observation I made, uh, I don't know, a long time ago is is that like, I think you, to do animal husbandry well, to, to raise animals, despite the fact that in many cases they're being slaughtered at the end, like you really have to love animals. And it's one reason I don't 
raise animals. I like animals all right, but I don't, I'm not an animal person. I don't love animals. And I, I just, my own observation that it's, it's really seems almost like a requirement. Um, if, if you're going to spend your life raising them and, and hopefully raising them in a way that, that takes their, their needs and their welfare into consideration. Do you agree with that? I 100% agree with that. You have to love a pig for them to push you around. <laughs> um, no, I totally think that I couldn't imagine if I didn't love animals that I would want to be around them in that, that this capacity. Um, there has to be that, that sort of passion for their lives and um, making sure that they're healthy and getting their needs Um there has to be that that love and passion for that to be able to do it, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so, Tracy, I guess my last question is about this: is in in those instances where you know the pile on is has is happening and you're feeling crappy because of it, what do you? How do you try and mitigate those feelings, or like you know, how do you try and feel better or just deal with it as it's happening? What's your strategy? Um. I reached out to another farm friend of mine and um, who it had happened to as well. And you just try and I try and talk myself out of feeling like letting those words get me down. Obviously, it still does. But I found that um, talking to people really helped me with it. And it's been an adjustment for me to kind of take a step back and just think like this is this person's issue. They have a bigger issue. Something else is going on. They're taking it out on me. Um, so I try and coach myself that way that it's not me. It's, it's them and put the blame, kind of the blame back on them for whatever is going on in their lives and why they feel this way or whatever. Um, so yeah, I just try and, do that and the biggest part with like when it was happening on Instagram it's just all of a sudden you get all these messages um and then you're working as quick as you can to try and delete them and block the person and it's um very repetitive when it's like happening and then it and then it slows down so once it slowed down I think it bothered me for a couple more days and then yeah it I just now kind of laugh about it. Well, I'm glad you can laugh about it, Tracy. And (sighs) I really appreciate you came on the show to talk about it. Thanks so much. Oh, you're welcome. All right, everyone. So that's the end of that segment. I hope you enjoyed those insights into a part of raising animals uh, that can be a bit heavy, a bit negative, a bit of a drag. 
Thank you to Kevin and Kevin and Tracy for sharing their stories. And to all of my colleagues raising animals, I'm sorry that you have to put up with stuff like that if you have to put up with stuff like that. To those of you who are very passionate animal rights activists, I think the dialogue is important. I think there's lots of room for dialogue, but I don't think... I don't think the yelling and the hatred and the vitriol is productive, as as Kevin was saying in my conversation with him. Kevin from Quebec, that is. All right, cue some transition music. So, a ruminant episode in 2022 will be satisfied with one segment, but will always strive for more than that. For segment two of this episode, it's another edition of the Farmer Questionnaire. Who are you and where do you farm? I am Rebecca Neen and I farm in unceded stolen Sequetmook territory in Sorrento on Shushwap Lake in the southern interior of British Columbia. The farm is Left Fields and we also run Cronogue Ales. Cronogue Ales is Canada's first certified organic on-farm microbrewery, um, so we are making beer. And on the farm, we're growing hops for the brewery specifically. Um, we also sell hop rhizomes, and we have a very, a very mixed farm, um, from vegetable gardens and orchards and small fruit and berries to a small flock of sheep. Um, we occasionally keep wiener pigs, and we have chickens for meat and and eggs. Um, uh, the, at this point, apart from the hops and the sheep, the rest of the farm is really focused on feeding our, our family and our extended community rather than being a uh, commercial farm. So the commercial part is the hops. Why do you farm? Well, I tried not farming for a while, that, that, um, and it just wasn't enough. Name a farming mentor and something they taught you. Um, Patrick Steiner um, of Stellar Seeds farmed with us for eight years and just taught me a ton about growing seed um, and working with people on a farm and, and just uh, the whole the whole process was a giant learning experience for both of us. Um, but uh, his seed practice actually is now informing a lot of what I'm doing on the farm. Um, I have another mentor as well, uh, Keith Bolter, um, who has taught me a ton about loving livestock. I knew how to work with sheep, but he really taught me to love our livestock in a different way. What tool or practice do you use regularly that you'd have a hard time giving up? Uh, I think I've got three. Um, paper mulch. So that's uh, rolls of... Um, very heavy duty paper that we use around all of our perennial crops um, and also actually a lot of our annuals as well anything that's sort of singly planted um, it is used for um, keeping moisture in the soil and as a weed barrier um, it's fantastic because it breaks down over winter at least it does here where we get a lot of snow um, and if not you can compost it uh, and it allows a lot of air through, so the soil underneath actually is in really, really good condition. Um, it is so much better than any of the plastic mulches. Um, the Korean homey digger 
um, the short-handled version. I just use it for everything. And swearing. What's one of your favorite breeds or cultivars? Um, for breeds, I would say California Variegated Mutant Sheep. Not just because they have mutant in their name, but because they're absolutely beautiful. Um, and good-tempered, nice size, um, beautiful fleece, and nice lambs. Um, and in cultivars, I'm going to go with Punta Luz Tomato, which is a Basque variety that Brian and I were given on a trip to Spain many years ago um, when we got a chance to visit with some of the um, Basque original people um, who've been fighting to maintain their, their sovereignty for many, many years. Um, and this is one of their heritage varieties. It's a huge heart-shaped, very meaty, but very smooth fleshed uh, uh, tomato. Main crop, massive vine. What's the best decision you ever made on your farm? Being certified organic. How do you think your farm will look differently in 10 years? Uh, well, uh, a beaver just moved into our farm. So um, I don't really know, but my guess is it's going to be wetter. <laughs> <laughs> I think our riparian area will enlarge itself. <laughs> How do you maintain balance in your life? Yoga. What's one skill set or knowledge set that you lack in your farming that you wish you had or that has vexed or befuddled you? Oh, welding. Um, I never learned to weld because in high school, I walked into the class on welding with a bunch of 13-year-old guys with big hair because that was what was in then, running around with oxyacetylene torches and no safety equipment, and I just turned around and left. Um, and I never learned to, to weld, and I wish to hell I had. What's your most challenging pest, weed, or predator, and how do you manage it? Ugh, thistles and burdock. Um see the aforementioned swearing uh i'd have to say in some cases not very well and in other cases reasonably well burdock we um we mostly uh spike the plants and try to get the root out below three inches below the ground <clears throat> below the soil surface um, because as a tap-rooted weed that's the best way to get rid of them but the amount of seed that's in the soil is horrendous um, and thistles are just a huge problem anywhere that we've cultivated or anywhere that where the pastures have been overgrazed. So mowing really seems to be the only thing that we can do on those, but it's a constant struggle. I, we don't have a good answer. Do you ever doubt your decision to be a farmer or your specific focus as a farmer? Well, um, I don't know if I doubt the decision to be a farmer. Um, but I can't, I mean, I can't at this point really imagine doing anything else, but I would like to have more time in my life to work with the fiber that, uh, our, our animals create. Um, I would like to have more time for art. Um, and I find that, that in the growing season, I just don't have the capacity, um, and I guess it's not the doubting to be of the decision to be a farmer. It's just trying to understand how to age as a farmer and not, you know, become so damaged I can't actually function at anything anymore. Um, 
So it's a process, I guess. <laughs> What's your worst habit on the farm? Oh, not putting everything away at the end of the day. Leaving crap out. Who is someone you'd be most interested to interview about their life and or, and or work? Uh, Keith Bolter. Um, he is an organic farmer who is in our area. Um, he's doing um, beef and grain um, and has been an organic farmer for his entire life. Um, coming out of large-scale grain production on the prairies where he actually grew up farming with horses. Um, I think he has a fascinating history. His approach to land and to farming is an approach that's really based in love and respect um, and really living with the land. And I, I just think he's amazing and I think he's had a fascinating life. I'd love to actually have a proper interview with him. <laughs> Today Island, I don't all right that's it for this episode everyone i hope you enjoyed it and if all goes well i'll be talking to you again in two weeks i'll keep the outro short today so that you can not be listening to me and be mostly listening to my wife vanessa singing the ruminant outro song talk to you soon Wear no clothes so we never have laundry We'll owe nothing to this world of thieves Live life like it was meant to be Our don't fret, honey, I've got a plan To make our final escape All we'll need is each other A hundred dollars and maybe a roll of duct tape and we'll run right outside of the city's reaches We'll live off chestnut spring water and peaches We'll owe nothing to this world of thieves And live life like it was meant to be trying to bleed us dry we could be happy with life in the country with salt on our skin and the dirt on our hands i've been doing a lot of thinking some real soul searching and here's my final resolve I don't need a big old house or some fancy car to keep my love going strong. So we'll run right out into the wilds and graces. We'll keep close quarters with gentle faces and live next door to the birds and the bees and live life like it was meant to be.